Hey guys, a quick note about this episode. We sat down with our guest, Charlie Mio, and we had such a great conversation that when I went to edit it, I had a really hard time cutting anything out. So we turned it into two episodes. This week, we'll hear part one, where we discuss community and love of neighbor and how that interacts with mental health. And then next week, we'll release part two, where we discuss being present and attentiveness and spiritual disciplines in light of a communal story. It's all really good, and I encourage you to listen to both of them in full. So, without any further ado, let's start the show. Welcome to For the Sake of Phoenix, a podcast by Missio Day Communities where we discuss how a community of God's people can learn to grow in God's ways for the sake of our city. I'm Chris Preby. I'm one of the hosts and one of the pastors of Missio Day Phoenix. We believe the Bible tells one unified story, and it's the true story of the whole world, a story that moves from creation to restoration, where Jesus is the hero and the church is invited to join in his redemptive work. Before I go any further, let me introduce you to my friend, co-pastor, and co-host of the show, Anthony Suarez. You can be known by the creator of the universe and deeply loved. And we as the church are to be an expression of that. We are to be the mediator, the ambassador, the expression of God loving his people. All right. Well, thanks for listening in to For the Sake of Phoenix. So we're back in the studio in the back of Cultivate with my co-host, Anthony. What's up, everybody? And uh, we have a special guest today, a good friend of mine, Charlie Mio. So Charlie is one of the pastors at Missio Tempe. And he also, we went through seminary together. We were in the same cohort Mm -hmm. at the Missional Training Center for four years. Four years, man. And uh, Sarah Hamilton, who's also on the leadership team at Missio Tempe, was in that cohort with us. And Charlie, when you first started MCC, you weren't even with Missio, right? I was not. I was part of a different church. Yeah. yeah. And so we won him over. We we pulled him over to the, <laughs> I don't want to say the dark side. That sounds bad. Yeah. But, uh, he started worshiping with Missio and then now is faithfully leading really well as a pastor there. Thanks, man. So, yeah. It's a joy to have you here. Charlie, you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah. So I... Uh... I grew up in Mesa most of my life, and um, I went to college in Southern California. And when I went to college, I met my wife there, and then we moved back. And so we moved back and took a job uh, at a church, the church that I grew up at, actually. And so I've been part of uh, the same church the first 25 years of my life. And um, that's when I also started MTC, when I came back from from college. I have uh, a family that still lives in Mesa, brother and a sister. I uh, have two kids, uh, Clark, he's four, and Cosette, she's two. And um, yeah, it's been it's been a really great season of being in Arizona. I never thought I'd actually be back in Arizona after we were in college together and moving back to the desert, especially this summer, being like the worst summer in the world. <laughs> but um, where were you in college? Yeah, Biola University. Okay. So a little small Christian school. Yeah. Um, did a Bible degree there. Didn't know I'd become a pastor. Ended up being a youth pastor at this church, the church I was growing up at. I did junior high ministry. I love junior hires. 
they're really fun. Um, so yeah, we I kind of jumped around a ton the last five years. I was we laugh often. Me and Keaton, who's my wife, of uh, we moved like four or five times. We've I've had four or five different jobs. Um, I worked at a school as a middle school teacher. I've worked as a resident director at DCU. Was a youth pastor before both of those, and now work with Missio. And so, uh, I feel pretty settled. We feel settled finally after probably four or five years of a lot of change, but also a lot of good experiences of learning different things. And even the conversation we're having today um, has been a real personal experience for me too over the last five years, mm-hmm. um, as I think through what the Lord's done in my life, in the life of my family, um, trying to connect what I was learning with MTC, and also this conversation around mental health. So. Yeah, it's been been a lot of changes, but also I'm really thankful for a lot of those changes as well to yeah. get to this point. Yeah. And your wife, Keaton, is a twin. She's a twin. dear to my heart because I have twins. Twins are amazing. So automatically I thought she was awesome. And then in the conversation, I realized that was true. It was confirmed. She's awesome. She is pretty great. <laughs> um, and she is a twin. I feel like they're identical twins. So if you were to see them both together, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart, really. Um, but once you get to know them, different personalities. But hopefully, you can tell yeah. them apart. I, I was gonna say, when yes, you, when you yes. were dating, did they ever try to switch on you? <laughs> no, but there's been there was a couple moments. I would probably only say, to be really fair, two moments where I wasn't sure right when I saw her, like at a coffee shop or something on campus in college, of like if that's Keaton or her sister Kylie. <laughs> but then as soon as she turned around, it's like okay, could make for some awkward moments. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I I love just uh you you already are starting to open up about hey, I've had a personal experience with mental health and I think that's so important for this conversation. We've been trying to do a lot of that of just sharing some of our experiences with that um because I think it's typically something in the church that we don't discuss enough. We don't talk about enough. Uh and if we do talk about feeling anxious for something, we usually try to give a pat <laughs> answer about it and like, "Hey, don't be anxious for anything, you know, today has its enough of its worries. Mm-hmm. Don't be anxious yeah. for tomorrow and um, just believe the gospel more. <laughs> and we try to move on because it makes us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so thank you for kind of opening up on that a little bit. We'll, we'll do some more of that. But I'd love to just start with as a pastor and as uh, someone who's pastored young people from junior mm-hmm. high uh, and on up and now pastoring a whole congregation. Uh, what has your experience been in seeing mental health in the church? Mm. And by that, I mean, like, how have you seen it handled? Yeah. Um, maybe handled well, maybe not handled well. Yeah. Um, what's your, been your experience in trying to pastor people and shepherd them toward living a, a life following after Jesus mm-hmm. and how mental health has maybe been a part of that or mm-hmm. has been taken away from the equation? Yeah. Yeah, and this is, it's, I think, really helpful to think both, yeah, of the experience in the church and then also my own story as well. They kind of go hand in hand. But so my my context of growing up, I grew up in a non-denominational church, um, and I feel like it was very uh, dualistic. And what I mean by that is um, the important things are reading the Bible and prayer. And then if you need any sort of mental help, uh, mental health help, um, that is seen almost as like uh, you're a failure in some way, mm-hmm. or like in some ways um, it's shunned. Like we need, we need, we shouldn't talk about that kind of stuff. Let's keep that kind of hidden. Mm-hmm. 
and let's focus on these spiritual things over here. And so growing up in that kind of context, I don't think, and to be really fair, I don't think it was anyone's intention to do that. Even the, the pastors, the, the leaders that I was under, that was never their intention. I just think that's naturally kind of how things unfolded. And so as I kind of grew up and got older and older, I think there's a lot of my own story and a lot of other people's stories that I was with that were that weren't processed at all. Um, and we were maybe really good at the spiritual things. Mm. Uh, and yet there's this whole, like an iceberg, this whole uh, piece of the iceberg underneath the water that has been untouched. Yeah. And just the t- stuff at the top has been talked about that you can see out of the water. And so mm. with that kind of journey through that process, um, I when I got married, I was, I was 24 when we got married. And I think this combination of both getting married and then also in the job that I was in working as a youth pastor was like this perfect... Uh, combination of events that helped me begin to process my own stuff. So even with this conversation, I feel like as we think about the church uh, and for ourselves, it's hard to lead somebody where you haven't gone yourself. Right. And so um, it's quick. We can be quick to blame or even I could even be quick to blame that context for some of the challenges that I had instead of actually, no, I need to do my own work and start thinking through my own story and how it's affecting my role um, in all of life, in my marriage, in my relationships, and how I do my job. And so that kind of was like a, a turning point for me to then actually begin to really explore my own story, my own woundedness, mm. um, to put to really name things that I've always felt that I felt like I never had language to actually talk about. So like, for example, anxiety, that's been a part of my life. I feel like as far as I can remember, I never would have named it as anxiety mm. as a kid. Or I never would have named it as anxiety is in high school. And I had good outlets. I played a lot of sports, a lot of physical activity. And so I think it kept it at bay a lot of ways. But then as I got older into college and then out of college, I didn't have those same outlets. And so it felt more and more prevalent. And then through different relationships, it would be, for lack of a better word, it'd be triggered in different ways. And I'm really, to be really honest now, I'm really thankful for that because it helped me name what I've always experienced. Mm. And then to go on this journey over the last, I'd say, five or six years of beginning to unpack some of the, where the roots of this feeling that I've constantly carry in every area of life. And then how do I, as I'm processing my own stuff and on the journey myself, then lead others on that journey too. But we have to do, we have to do both, right? We, we, can't, we can't lead people. We can't lead people where they, we haven't gone ourselves. Um, it's hard for, for people to not only trust us, but then also to come alongside us mm-hmm. if we're not willing to do our own work in the process. So that's been kind of my my journey the last five years. And even as we have this conversation, like not as I don't come as an expert or someone who's like figured it out. Um, if you enter into this realm at all and on all of life, right? Uh, I'm, I'm very much still on the journey and still processing my own story and my own woundedness that I carry. Um but I'm, I'm on the journey. Like, mm. and I think that's the important part for all of us is, are we actually doing the work in some capacity? Yeah. So that's kind of, that's been my experience of growing up in the church and then how my personal experience kind of collides with that. And, and now in a different context, so in the Missio context, I've actually experienced a lot of um, really cool ways where we've tried to integrate um, mental health and uh, into discipleship. Mm. Where before, I think it would have been seen more as two separate things. Yeah. Um, 
But now we care both about what you can see outside of the water, like the tip of the iceberg, but also in many ways what's underneath the water um, in people's lives and communities. And so how do we do both, both of those things simultaneously? So that's kind of been my journey the last five-ish years and trying to figure out, yeah, now I think in many ways, how do I help lead others on that mm-hmm. journey too? Again, not as an expert, but as someone journeying with them. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I mean, that's definitely makes me think of like the whole, the wounded healer, right? Like I know you're a- That's, ex- that's exactly actually one of the things I've been thinking about. Yeah. Um, and leading up to this conversation of uh, Henry Nowen, wounded yeah. healer. He has this like simple quote I've been thinking about, um, like we become wounded healers ourselves where we like tend to our own wounds and that becomes actually a way for others to, to heal their wounds as well. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously we don't do the healing. We're not, we're not taking the place of Jesus, but if we're unaware of our own woundedness, often what happens is then we transfer that woundedness to others. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we're not aware of how we've been wounded, it's so easy for us then to then begin to wound others in the process. Yeah. And I think just even recognizing your woundedness, uh, you know, like you don't have the answer and solution in yourself because <laughs> when you're face to face with that, those wounds, right. You can't be the one to, to fix it. Yeah. So you know where you got to go. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so yeah. now you can help lead other people there with you. Yeah. It's like, Hey, just come with me to, to Jesus. Like let's mm-hmm. go there together. Yeah. I think healing, any, any form of healing never is an isolation. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So we always need others to, to journey with us. To we have healing always comes in the context of community, and I don't know if it's because of our own cultural setting or kind of the self help, self actualization of our culture, but I think often we think if we just have like the right tools, mm-hmm. we listen to the right podcast, we read the right books, we do the right things, the practices. Those things are all important. We will find we will find healing. We'll mm-hmm. we'll figure out what's wrong with us, and then. And then um, begin to process and, and be restored. And yet, healing is always in the context of community. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this. There's a story uh, of in Mark chapter 5 of a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Hmm. And um, if you remember, if you know the story at all, uh, she, she's been bleeding for 12 years. It kind of paints a picture of her just dire situation. And she says, if I just could touch the cloak of Jesus, I will be healed. And so the story goes where she comes and grabs part of his cloak and immediately she's healed. Mm-hmm. And she in many ways tries to then like secretly go away. Yeah. And Jesus being aware, being present to the moment, recognizes that power has gone out from him and he seeks out specifically the woman. Now, why does he do that? Does he do that to shame or condemn mm-hmm. or to, to em- embarrass her in some way? No, he does that because he knows healing isn't just for herself but she needs to be also healed to the community that she's a part of. So think of this woman who would have been ostracized, would have been marginalized, left out. Yes, she experienced personal healing, but whole healing, whole healing had to come then through the community. She had to be restored in front of all those people that were watching. So they knew that she was healed and that she should be welcomed back into the community. Mm. And so Jesus would not let her just have healing on her own or as like he was a magic formula. But he always wants the healing to be connected to others in relationship, not isolated. We've talked before about how important it is for community to play a role in that healing, but also for um, 
just the stories of that healing to play a role in, in building up community too. But that's a really great story in a way of positioning that and like really opening it up and highlighting for people like, yeah, this is, it's not done in isolation. I think that's powerful. Yeah. Like if, if we were to read the gospel through that lens, like I, I bet we would find most of the healing stories of Jesus. Yes. That individual is, can walk now. Mm-hmm. This woman no longer is suffering horribly for 12 years, but they're always connected then to restored relationship with yeah. others too. And so even as we think about this conversation of mental health and its role within the church, how do we hold those things together um, of both finding healing individually, but knowing we can never separate it from then healing comes in the context of community. Yeah. It should lead us back towards people, not farther away from them. Mm. Bro, I'm like taking notes. Like this is a sermon. (laughs) Like this is good stuff. Um, This is why I really wanted Charlie on here because one, Charlie is an avid podcast listener. He's a, what's a, the wine sommelier? Is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, sommelier. You're, you're a sommelier podcast, a That's, purveyor of that podcasts. That is true. That is true. And uh, so when we first started this, I sent it to him. I was like, hey, I'd love your feedback because I know you listen to podcasts a lot. That was really good. And, I was uh, impressed. Thanks. And so now having him on here is like, oh, it's like a, we've come full circle. We've arrived. Yeah. Uh, but then also just like, honestly, like, and it's sitting in those uh, Thursday morning mm-hmm. MTC, you know, in our cohort for four years. And like, you would sit there and listen really, really well. And then when you said something, it was like, whoa, this dude's like in his 20s. How does he have so much wisdom? talk about mental health we just go to our our own individualistic just for me right Mm -hmm. this is for my health for my benefit yep um so i can be healthy so Mm -hmm. or or so that i'm not destructive or so that i'm in a better place and and it just kind of ends there right and so Mm -hmm. it's just kind of like which those are good things but that's a lot of times where we end and that to be honest in our own faith that's a lot of times where we end like Jesus died for me Mm -hmm. and cool, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm going to heaven. Yeah. Uh, And that was a lot of my upbringing in church Mm -hmm. as well. And and as you were talking about earlier, when you said the church you were going up with is kind of dualistic in that the mental health kind of side of things was, um, you know, not a, not a, just kind of an unspoken, you better keep that hidden, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't outright taught, mm-hmm. don't deal with these yeah. things, don't talk about these things, but um, maybe because how other things were taught, it was mm-hmm. kind of assumed, oh, I can't talk. This isn't a safe place for me to talk about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hiddenness always brings yeah. uh, sin and destruction. It's yeah. just not mm-hmm. good, right? And so, um, so tying that back with keeping those things hidden, but then also what you're talking about in it's it's also for the sake of community. Mm-hmm. Um, just just makes me think about sin in general, right? And 
um, the effects of sin and the brokenness of sin, and the messiness of sin, and why we have mental health issues. And how oftentimes it drives us inward. Mm. Uh, and so we shut ourselves off in community. But yet, I love how you're talking about like healing is just not for our own sake, but is meant to draw us back in. Mm-hmm. And as we deal with our own stuff, mm. it's always it's always for the purpose to move toward others. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, that is the, I think my, my question I've thought about a lot over the last two years, um, as I've been doing my own work, uh, I've, I've done professional counseling. I've kind of been in those spaces, um, is the question I think is like, is my healing process leading me more towards others into community, into, into loving neighbor. So even to try to connect that piece, Mm -hmm. if our process of healing or thinking through mental health issues, challenges that we face is not leading us towards love of neighbor, there's a disc, there's something wrong. There's a disconnect. Mm -hmm. So if even our exploration of our own hearts, our own uh, stories, if it isn't then leading towards love of neighbor, there's something, there's something fundamentally broken. Because if it, it can easily then become, uh, so Henry now, and we just talked about him earlier. He, uh, so something I'd encourage people to do as they think through this conversation is to find a person. It could be through a podcast, it could be an author, and just like sit in somebody's work that's mm. thought deeply about these these issues, these challenges. For me, two years ago, uh, I read through almost all of Henry Nowen's work. He's got like 40 books. Um, they're really small little books. So you can read them pretty quick. But I just got to sit and I, I feel like I know him. If, if he was alive today, like mm. I feel like I know him as a friend. Um, but one of the things he talks about a lot uh, is through his process of even, he started with a lot of psychology but then moved more and more towards kind of more spiritual formation. Mm. But he, he references in one of his books, um, this idea, and, and he does it often different ways, but he uses a, a Buddhist thought actually of um, a term called hungry ghost. He says, Hey, we we're often people that have hungry ghosts. And, and what he means by that is simply uh, in the exploration of self, we can dive so deep into our own self and our, into our own stories that in some ways it never satisfies the hungry ghost. Mm. We're always trying to find the bottom. If I could just, if I could just unlock this part of me that's deep within, then I'll find freedom. Then I'll find healing. And it, but what we'll find is often, and I, and this is, from, I'm speaking to myself right now. Exploration of self, if it can drive you, it can drive you mad in some ways, in really unhealthy ways, where you just continue to try to feed this hungry ghost that never satisfied. There's always more to process. There's always more to think about. And then you find yourself going through your day trying to analyze and trying to connect everything to what you're processing in your own story. And those are really good things. I don't want to dismiss that. But if it's not leading us to then love of a neighbor, there is a fundamental disconnect. Because again, if healing comes through community, ultimately in Jesus, but then in the context of community, then the exploration of self at some point has to lead us outward mm-hmm. to the other. If yeah. it doesn't, we just find ourselves in just a uh, a place where we can't. Um, we feel par- it's, it creates paralysis. Yeah, where it's just this unending process of I got to figure out my own stuff. Mm. And some of us, like to be really honest, some of us need to process more of our own stuff. But I would say, especially with um, people in their twenties, those I've worked with that are younger than that, because our culture cares so much about self discovery. 
we actually need more probably of the, yes, self-discovery, but it should lead to loving neighbor. If it doesn't, there's something fundamentally missing. That's what's encouraging to me about speaking of Henry Nouwen, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on Mm -hmm. this, um, because you know his work a lot better than I do. But um, what I think not everyone knows about him is he, if I'm right, he struggled with same-sex attraction. Yep. Um, And what's encouraging to me about that is that is something that, um, unfortunately, mental health Mm. is a big issue in that community, right? In the LGBTQ plus community. Um, because it's a lot of wrestling through your own stuff and, mm. and who am I struggling with identity, um, under, understanding, you know, those feelings and how it relates to the world around you and, and biology not matching up with what seems to be yep. going on inside. Right. And so, the, it, but what he did, what Henry now has done, had, had done is taken his personal wrestling with that. And the work that he had done on his own mental health through that mm-hmm. and the work he had done in his spirituality and mm-hmm. uh, his identity in Christ, he used that in order to be a blessing to others, to help spiritually form other people, right? Mm-hmm. Who were or were not wrestling with same-sex right. attraction. That, didn't, that wasn't the point. Like his, his ministry wasn't just to that. Mm-hmm. Being a priest, he, he never physically walked in that lifestyle. Um, but that was going on inside of him and he it's not like he hit it but he he did work around that and then he used that as a way to bless other people who were wrestling through um all kinds of other issues in their own mental health and kind of giving them these spiritual formation tools mm-hmm. on how do you orient yourself around what's true yeah every follower of Jesus to really embrace would be one community. So he was like always pressing into community. I feel like I feel defensive of him in some ways because of the ways he's, he's been translated today has been very much like in the self-exploration kind of lane. Mm. And yet if you read his work and see his life, it was always, he would move towards community and to be known in community Two solidarity with the poor would be his second mm. big thing. Like, Hey, we should always be in proximity to the poor. Um, regardless of where you are, what city you live in, like there's something about solidarity with the poor, not only because Jesus had solidarity with the poor and dwelt among those who were left out, but there's something that happens in us when we uh, step towards the other, especially from a different social status or background. And then third, prayer. So even in the spiritual formation, in wrestling through his own desires, like how do we... We not hide our desires from God. God sees all of our desires. Mm-hmm. We can't hide from him, mm-hmm. but rather use our desires as a gateway, as a means to then pray. Yeah. And how different would even our prayers be if throughout our days, when different desires come to us um, in all of their different forms, we would use that as a means to then enter into prayer. Yeah. Instead of often what we do is, oh, we take that desire and we try to 
quickly put it away or try to relabel it or to dismiss it instead of like, no, let this become an avenue uh, of prayer. Mm-hmm. And then similar with mental health, I wonder if one of the missing pieces of how prayer connects is not like, hey, uh, proactively praying, that's really important. Praying through like, okay, I know today I'm going to probably be pretty anxious. Like, yes, that's, let's think through that. But then when different things come up throughout our days, how do we have those all be avenues to then enter mm-hmm. into prayer? And I think sometimes we just, we'd rather not, like that just feels too messy for us. Yeah. I'd rather just stuff that stuff and hide it. But just like kind of putting a beach ball underneath water mm-hmm. and trying to push down really hard and keep it under the water, eventually those things come up to the surface yeah. again. Yeah. And so one thing even with mental health and, and even the kind of, the overlap with spiritual formation is a question I think through a lot is when you spend time in silence, solitude and stillness, like what things come to the surface? Mm. Like that's a good indicator of kind of where you're at and not as a way where you should like be ashamed of what comes or you should try to quickly move away from what comes, but just to notice what comes, what thoughts, what feelings, what frustrations come. And then can, again, that be an avenue to then enter into prayer. Mm-hmm. I feel like that could be a, a good overlap of seeing how the formation piece of like disciplines the church has practiced for thousands of years also connects with just mental health and in processing through our own our own woundedness, our stories, our desires, and try to connect the two together. Yeah, so when we talk about spiritual formation and these practices, I'm hearing you say, one, they have to be rooted in the story, the true story of who God is, the true story of God mm-hmm. at work in his world. Um, so that has to be rooted in that. And then also lived out in community, right? So not just these right. individual isolated things you're doing, spiritual disciplines, but um, spiritual formation practices as a whole community. So what does that start to look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is where I think we can, as a church as a whole, and let's just use the Western church again, because that's the context we're in, uh, is how do we reimagine the rhythms of prayer, scripture? Um, so maybe even what would be helpful with this is thinking through the disciplines of both disciplines of a, a reflection and that could be personal reflection, but also in communal reflection, but then also disciplines of action, of doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think largely, again, this is maybe because of our cultural context, we focus on the disciplines of reflection, often at the expense of disciplines of action. But we need both. And this is where if we focus simply on the, the disciplines of reflection. It leads us to, in a sense, the end of ourselves and not towards the love of neighbor. Yeah. And so how do we be communities where we reimagine what prayer could look like, both personally, but then also within communities? How do we reimagine even what rhythms like a, like a Sabbath could look like, both 
for your individual family, but then also inviting other people to be part of the table as well as you share a meal. Uh, if you think about even the rhythms of, to even take a rhythm like solitude or silence, those should always, that the goal of solitude and silence is not to lead you farther away from people, but to understand yourself in a way that now you can enter more freely into community. Mm-hmm. Like solitude should lead you towards community, not farther away, because it's a, it's a refining process. Of, oh man, these are the these are the different stories that I've been living into in my fears around how maybe even people think about me. But now as I bring those things to the Lord and me and, me and him are connected in solitude, now I can then enter back yeah. into community. Uh, as you think about scripture, one of the things we've done with Missio Tempe is every morning at, uh, at 7.30, there's a group of maybe nine or 10 people led by Chris Gonzalez that do like morning prayer together on Zoom. Mm. And so they'll read through a bunch of different passages of scripture and then do different times of prayer using kind of different forms of Anglican uh, methods and how they use the church calendar and the lectionary. And so they've just taken a time that could be, in many ways, would be a quiet time and now made it communal. It's 10 people reading scripture to one another, praying together. And and maybe, the bold statement again, maybe that's actually more formative for Mm -hmm. those 10 people than if they were to do individually their own quiet time. Absolutely. Because they're hearing one another read scripture. They're in prayer with one another. They're praying not just for themselves, but for different needs that come up of others. It's, it's leading them towards love of neighbor. And so we need, we need that vision of the reflective the disciplines and, and what they look like from going from personal to communal mm-hmm. and to reimagine what that could look like. But also what's helpful is the disciplines of action. So even like we talk a lot about mission in our church. Mm-hmm. I think mission actually could be a really effective way of, of working through some of our mental health challenges and issues because it calls us outside of ourselves and into relationship with others. So my MC, my missional community, we serve uh, the homeless in Tempe. And for me, one of the most formative practices as a discipline, as something that brings me out of myself and then into love of neighbor and brings me a sense of peace and shalom in the midst of my own anxiety is just serving a meal to somebody mm-hmm. and doing that with others. Because for a moment, I have to get the focus off of myself and my own stuff. And now I'm going to be completely present with the person yeah. in front of me. And so how do we as communities create rhythms of disciplines that, yes, encourage personal reflection, personal action, but then always also there's communal elements of it as well. And we need both. I don't want to, we don't want to like swing the pendulum where then, I should never read my Bible by myself. Like that's, right. We're not saying that. Yeah. But, Jesus, Jesus still got away from the crowd. Right. Right. Totally. But I wonder if our blind spot is less, I needed to read the Bible by myself and more. How does the Bible, how does prayer, how does silence and solitude and Sabbath, how does serving of neighbor, how does that lead me out of myself and into community, into love of neighbor? Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably more our blind spot yeah. than it is like, we need to do a better job of our personal reflection in, in our daily lives. I like how you talked about kind of holding those two together, reflection and action. And we were having a similar conversation with our missional community Wednesday night. Uh, in First John 2, we were reading, if, if you, this is how you know you remain in him, in Jesus, is if you walk in the ways he has walked. And so there's both those things there. Like when I think of remaining in Jesus, I'm often thinking of like, my personal like being with Christ, you know, and then, but then it's like, but here's how you 
here's how you actually are in Jesus. Like there's this action part. You walk the way Jesus has walked. And how did Jesus walk? Like he, he moved down into this dirty, broken earth to be with us in solidarity. And he served and he fed and he healed and he, uh, and he ultimately died for it. Right. Like he, mm-hmm. there was action. Um, and so this action of walking in the ways Jesus has walked and also remaining in him in that, that personal, as, as we said, Jesus would go and remove himself sometimes mm-hmm. just to be with the father. But that was always fueling him to come back yep. to serving the crowds. Right. And so Brian Lampka and our MC um, did the very preacher thing and, and gave it an alliteration. He was like, there's the consumption and the contribution. And I like that. Like there is a reality of like, we, we need to receive. Amen. Right. From yeah. what the Lord has done. We, we receive from the spirit filling us up. Uh, we receive from our time in the word. We receive from that silence and solitude. Mm-hmm. But then we, we, we give that back as yes. well. We're, we receive so that we can give. Yeah, if, if you ever, uh, maybe you guys have had this experience. I uh, feel like a good, a good another indicator for me of like where where my heart is actually at and how I'm actually doing is if you're doing whatever the spiritual discipline is personally, and you're by yourself, let's say, then in the very next moment your kids interrupt you or your wife asks you a question or you get a phone call. <laughs> I know where you're going. And immediately your response <laughs> totally is like kidding. irritation or anger yeah. or frustration or impatience. And you're like, I just spent the last 30 minutes in prayer <laughs> and reading the Bible. Yeah. But there's this disconnect now that actually yeah. that should be producing more patience, more fruits right. of the spirit, more understanding. But actually it's it's not. So there's something disconnected there yeah. that should give us pause to then reflect on this should produce more fruit, not a good fruit, not this bad fruit of all of a sudden now I'm as irritated as I was 30 minutes ago. <laughs> so how do we, how do we connect those two? And that shouldn't be a shameful thing where now it's like, that, that'd be my tendency of like quickly, like, oh, I can't believe I just did that. I just spent 30 minutes reading the Bible and now I'm, I'm frustrated with my four-year-old, but it should give us pause to reflect on is what I'm doing. My practices actually producing love of neighbor yeah. and producing the fruit of the spirit. Mm. And so that's, I think, something we should constantly be thinking about and maybe even gives us an opportunity to reimagine what the traditional disciplines like look like. Yeah. So prayer, Bible reading, like how could you get creative with, with those two things that, that maybe the traditional way of sitting in a room by yourself for 30 minutes of doing prayer and Bible reading isn't maybe the best fit for you personality-wise. It isn't actually producing uh, it's not. It, it becomes an end in of itself. It's not a means mm-hmm. to an end of both communion with God and then love of neighbor. Mm-hmm. So how do we get creative with our practices, our rhythms, to actually form us more into the people we want to become in light of what Jesus has done on our behalf? Instead of finding ourselves, hey, I've just spent 30 minutes doing this, and immediately I revert back to you know, like the ugliest parts of my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've definitely experienced what you just described. Yeah. <laughs> And I think for me, a lot of times where that's coming from is even in my reading, in my Bible reading, I'm often reading it through this individual lens. I'm coming for my time with God. Mm -hmm. And so if someone interrupts that, that's going to tug on that idolatry of my personal, like what I get out of this, right? And so if I went into reading, if if my Bible reading was instead through a more communal lens, even, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm, I'm going to. Uh, read this story that's a, a cosmic story 
and about God calling a, a community of people for the sake of the world. And I get to be a part of that, but I'm entering into that story so that I can be a part of this bigger picture and, you know, recognizing like what God's doing in me is for the love of my neighbor. Mm-hmm. Then maybe perhaps when my kid comes and interrupts me, I, I've been thinking already as I'm reading scripture about my kid and how yeah. I can better serve them and, and how the spirit can fill me up to pour out into them. And now they, that interruption is not an interruption. It's an opportunity to live out what I've just been receiving. Um, but often I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely doing it more through an individual lens. Charlie, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me guys. This thanks. is really, this is really fun. If, if fun can be a word to describe talking about <laughs> mental health and, <laughs> and counseling and working through hard stuff. I had fun. I had fun. Yeah. That was a great conversation. Thanks for filling up a couple episodes for us. <laughs> yeah, we just appreciate your perspective and the wisdom that you were able to bring to the conversation. 